The following audio is from Downtown Church, a kingdom-focused, gospel-centered, multi-ethnic, multi-class ministry in Memphis, Tennessee. For more information, please visit downtownchurch.com. Our scripture this morning is Colossians chapter 1, starting at verse 9. And so, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have the redemption, the forgiveness of sins. This is the word of the Lord. You do realize God was not bound to give us those words, aren't you? You do realize that he didn't have to tell us what he just told us, that we didn't have to know that, and yet he loves us so much that he brought us in on truths that will change our lives, that will lift us out of the hopelessness that we are in, that will take us beyond where we think we can go, and that will illumine our hearts and minds in such a way that uh, we can become agents of change in the city of Memphis and so far beyond. And so that's why after God's word is read, we say, thanks be to God. Thank you that you did not withhold your truth from us. Thank you that you didn't just allow us to live in the dark, wandering around trying to figure out how to please him. But you revealed yourself through your word. We still have it today. We can read it. We can say thank you, God, for it. And we can sit under its authority at a time like this. And so thanks be to God for his word that is life itself. Uh, Let's go to that word now as I need a lot of mercy A lot of illumination myself this morning, as do you. Let's pray. Father, we need you. Uh, We need you to send your spirit to do a work that only you can do. You've given us your word, so now empower it. Would you wipe the cobwebs from our eyes? Would you take those cobwebs out of our ears? Would you give us eyes to see and ears to hear? Would you give us hearts that are sponges this morning that that want more and more and more of Jesus? I pray, oh God, that you would not leave us as we are, but oh God, you would come in and you would obliterate our apathy, that you will obliterate our skepticism, that you will obliterate our pride, our arrogance, our self-righteousness. Oh God, that you would show us our sin, that we would see how our gossip offends you, that we would see how our pride is really trying to knock you off your throne, that we might sit on it thinking we would do a better job. Oh God, I pray that you would come in by your power and you would show us in this place this morning the kind of community Paul was praying for the Colossian church to be, oh God, it is our prayer this morning that you make us this kind of church too. That the world might know that there is hope, that we might taste of that hope, that we might be filled with overflowing with that hope in a hopeless world, just as the believers in Colossae 
existed in. Oh God, show us that there's no difference. Show us, oh God, that we're still hoping in the same vain things. And oh God, I pray that we would leave this place rejoicing in the hope that we have in Christ Jesus, that it would come so clear to us that we simply could not live the same way. Oh God, we look forward to what you're going to do. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So Colossians was written by a, a specific person to a specific church. Uh, this, this church had hopes and dreams. These people had hopes and dreams. This, this, they were in a, a specific historical context. This is not some fabricated mythological story to some mythological people. This is historical and so Paul is writing to their hearts, he's writing to their minds, he's, he's trying to help them exegete their life and their hopelessness and the challenges that they face. For you see, they, not unlike us, put their hopes in the one who was reigning on the throne in Rome. And during this time, it was a man by the name of Nero. He was a young ruler. And he was a new ruler, and therefore there was great hopes throughout the, uh, the world at that time that this new ruler was going to bring um, prosperity and flourishing, that he was going to be unlike the rulers before, and yet it only takes time. Whenever you put your hope in a, a ruler, whenever you put your hope in a power outside of God, it only takes time to be disappointed. It only takes time to be disillusioned. That's all it takes because there is no perfect ruler that sits on any throne under heaven. And that's what we are seeing here in Colossians. We're seeing Paul um, excited. We heard it last week. He is always thanking God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ when we pray for you. Since we heard of your faith, hope, and love. He's excited about what God is doing in this, this young church and these young believers in Colossae. He's never been to Colossae, but he's heard from Epaphras what's going on in the church that was planted there. And he's encouraged and he, he's praying, but now we see that he continues to pray. Why does he continue to pray? Because there's going to be another Caesar after this one. <laughs> and another one. And another one. And another one. You see, Nero was an evil man. He was narcissistic. He was paranoid. And he was a sociopath. If he had Twitter, he would be a maniacal tweeter. <laughs> because he felt threatened. And his insecurity, he wore on his sleeves. And that's why Paul is in prison. Paul is writing this, to remind you from last week, from prison. And, and he's writing it not, or, or he's in prison, not because he's preaching a Jesus who will save you from your sins and through whom you can receive imputed righteousness and have your relationship with God and, and then reconcile and then go on about your life. No, he is in prison because of verse 13 that was just read. He has transferred us from the dominion of darkness into the, ooh, watch out, kingdom of the Son He loves. You see, this Savior who brings salvation 
This Savior who, who lives and dies that we might live, who, whose righteousness is imputed to us, is not just a Savior, He is King. And He doesn't just usher us into a new existence of forgiveness and right relationship with God, but He brings us into a, a new kingdom under His rule. And that's what Nero was hearing about, and that is why Paul is in prison. Because he is a threat now. The believers were a threat because they are saying there is one higher than Rome and the throne in Rome. And you see, the believers needed to be not just reminded of it, it needed to be driven into their hearts and minds. And dear friends, it needs to be driven into our hearts and minds today. Derek Thompson writes for The Atlantic. And he wrote a piece this past week, and it was jumping off of a poll that uh, the results of which came out in the um, Wall Street Journal the week before, so two weeks ago. And Derek Thompson um, is taking the, the results of this poll that was given, and uh, the poll that was given was to find out how um, the, the values of... Um, those who are in the age range of 18 to 31 have changed since that first poll was given 21 years ago. So we took a poll that was given 21 years ago and they re-applied um, it to today to see the difference between the values. And the values clearly from 21 years ago of those between the ages of 18 to 31 uh, were God, country, and family. No big surprise. And yet, today, this is what he writes. Today's respondents were 10%, points, 10 percentage points less likely to value having children and 20 points less likely to highly prize patriotism or religion. That's not surprising either. What we see today is a radical shift away from God, country, family to individualism and suspicion toward anything organized like church and like government. Today's millennials and Gen Zers, that's 18 to 31 year olds, so says Derek Thompson from this poll, are less likely to commit a crime so give yourselves a hand, 18 to 31-year-olds, you're less likely to uh, commit a crime. Um, and yet, and, and you, yet you've attended college at historically high rates, but here's your reward, less ownership and more debt. Anybody feeling that? Yeah, exactly. In other words, you followed the values of the generation before, and you're paying for it. We went to college, and I've got $100,000 in debt. I'm never going to get out from under it. Hearing some amens out there. That's right. I'm preaching now, aren't I? Come on now. Come on. Yeah, yeah. I figured we'd hit a little nerve there. Another interesting finding is that today's millennials and Gen Zers experience at unprecedented levels more anxiety and depression and suicide. Um, deaths 
from drugs and suicide, so-called deaths of despair, which are concentrated in the white working class primarily, have soared in the past two decades, recently reaching the highest levels ever recorded by the federal government. And this is what Thompson wrote in his piece in The Atlantic. He said, across generations, Americans seem to be suffering from and dying of new levels of loneliness. So it really doesn't matter which way you swing. You go to traditional values of God, country, faith, or individualism, socialism, um, and tolerance. That's really kind of the values of today. It really doesn't matter. The, the values of today, whatever your today is, are empty. They're not going to get you what you want. They're not going to get you what you've been created for because you're created for so much more. And yet, it's ramping up. Political season's ramping up. And what are we doing? We're already listening, moving. Where am I going to fit? Where am I going to be? Who am I going to listen to? Who's representing my hopes the best? Who do I think is going to give me the most advantage to flourishing? We're already being sucked into believing and trusting in the one who's going to be on the throne. And Paul says, wake up, church. Wake up. Learn from Colossae. Learn from them. See, the message of Paul to the, to the church here is so relevant to us today. Because hope will not be found in uniting in either our hatred for Trump or our love for Trump or our hope in the next candidate. That is not what is going to unite us. Because we are a diverse congregation, not just racially and socioeconomically, but politically and really in every way. We're an enigma. And yet we haven't crossed the finish line by simply gathering Republicans and Democrats. And, that, and that's not even the goal. But the goal is to see the kind of community that's being formed, that was formed in Colossae. What Paul is thanking God always for, and what he's now ceaselessly praying for, is that this faith, hope, and love continues in the midst of a world that is hopeless, faithless, and loveless. You want to know how we can impact Memphis. We can love God with all that we are, and we can love each other likewise. Because that is radical. It's radical. There's nothing more radical than love. There's nothing more radical than a community that is sacrificing for one another. That's what Paul is saying. And he's saying the way to get there is to understand there's a king on his throne who didn't just get in office to use and abuse his people to, uh, to, to pad his pockets. But this king got off the throne. And this king came down and took on flesh and lived among us. He became one of us. He became anonymous. And he lived perfectly under the law, drawing no attention to himself, even rebuking those later who would try to draw attention to him. He lived and he died. He went to a cross. He died an unjust death. He was incarcerated unjustly. He was tried unjustly. He was accused unjustly. He was executed unjustly. Oh, but he rose again over sin and death. 
and he sits on the throne and he's coming back one day someday to bring in a kingdom that's already started, the seeds of which we can already taste. He's bringing in a kingdom that we long for. He is the king we're looking for. Stop looking for it on this earth. Downtown church, when are we going to stop looking for it? When are we going to stop being divided by who we voted for? Come on, Paul says, grow up. Quit being so childlike. Quit being so foolish. Quit putting your hopes in the king. Is this a message we need to hear? I think it is. So the first thing I think we need to see from this passage is that gospel faith, hope, and love is granted. It's not self-generated. It's a gift. It's not an acquired degree. What, what, what Paul is doing here, it, it struck me. I'm like, it, it took me a while to really get what he was doing. Because it sounds like, in, in a verse 3, you, you don't have it and I didn't provide it, but verse 3 says this that Michael dealt with last week. We always thank God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ when we pray for you. And then we come down to verse 9. And so from the day we heard, we've not ceased to pray for you. Wait a minute. You're thanking God that they've arrived, but now you're praying for something more to happen. And I kept going, what is, I don't, and here's what it is. What he's describing here is a delicate ecosystem. That even when you experience it, you got to live on your knees before God and you got to keep seeing and begging God to cultivate it within your community and within your own heart. Um, last weekend, it's hard to believe it was, I think it was, no, two weekends ago, I'm sorry. Uh, Rachel and I were in San Francisco. Um, I, I wondered about this this morning. Who in here remembers Chris Davis? All right, that makes me really sad. Uh, and yet it also encourages the heck out of me. Um, very small percentage. Chris Davis was here. Uh, he was the uh, assistant pastor before our um, present associate pastor, Michael Davis. And uh, Chris was here kind of throughout those early days. Anyway, Rachel and I went to San Francisco. He pastors Redemption Church San Francisco. And if you know anybody that lives in San Francisco, I would highly recommend the church there. I uh, was so encouraged by he and, and Whitney, and it was so good to see them with uh, little CJ, little Junior, uh, Chris, and um, so encouraging. But we spent the weekend, and then we left, and we went to, Rachel and I met some friends um, in Napa and Sonoma, and we went to wineries. And when you go to a winery, you typically take a tour, and we took a tour of one of the wineries, and basically, it's just a farm. I mean, they're growing grapes. And you listen to this farmer, or it's probably somebody kind of one step, you know, outside of his circle, who's explaining how what goes into growing really good grapes for really good wine. And every explanation we heard was not void of them talking about Mother Nature. So they talk about what they do to get the soil right. They talk about what they do to tend the grapes. They talk about what they do, you know, fans that they use to, you know, keep the heat off or the frost off when it gets, you know, all these things they do. But then they say, but it's really out of our hands. Because all it takes is a little bit too much rain or a little bit here, a little bit there, 
we're just really dependent on Mother Nature. And that's what Paul is saying. <laughs> He's saying, look, this, when you have a church that is not trusting who's on the throne in Washington or Rome or wherever, and you have a church so captivated by Jesus and His gospel, by King Jesus who sits on His throne, and are so full, they believe it so much that they are loving each other radically across slave or free, um, Jew or Gentile, male or female, any barrier, when, when that's happening, you better get on your knees. You better not say, okay, we've arrived, look at us, we're the best church in town. You better get on your knees, shut up, and pray. Because it's in danger. Why? Because it's dependent upon God. That's why he's praying ceaselessly. Um, listen to, to, to this ecosystem Knowledge of His will, spiritual wisdom and understanding, bearing fruit in every good work, increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all power according to the might of His glory, unto all patience and longsuffering, with joy, giving thanks unto the Father. But what Paul is doing is he is praying for a perfect ecosystem, a perfect season, a perfect record. And that does not come unless God grants it. Notice, he refers not merely to knowledge. He doesn't say, oh, I hope that you all get knowledgeable. You can go to seminary to get knowledge. You can go to Sunday school, like we're about to start, to get knowledge, and we should. But Sunday school is not going to give you the knowledge of His will and the knowledge of God. We're talking about two different things. It is a chasm of dis distance between knowing things about God and knowing the living God. And that's what Paul knows. Dear friends, if you look on Facebook, most of the people that are jabbering on Facebook know things about God. They don't know God. Most of the, the loudest people are the ones that know about God, but they don't know God. Why do I say that? Because if you know God, you know to shut your mouth. You know what you don't know. There's humility because you have to go to God to get God. That's what Proverbs says, chapter 2. If you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding. You hear it? This struck me early in my Christian life. This, these verses have just resonated throughout the years. This is not a degree. This, you know, this is, seminary doesn't have anything to do with this. My degree on the wall has nothing to do with this. It's garbage. If this is where, this is seminary, this is training. If you call out for insight and you raise your voice for understanding, if you seek it like silver and search for it as for hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. But you're not getting it. Any, there are no shortcuts. You can fool everybody around you. But you cannot fool God. The knowledge of God is it's knowing God. It's the language of, of knowledge of God is, is the same language of Adam knowing his wife. Okay, sexually, do I need to say it? That, that's what he's talking about. You're supposed, why do you think God gave us sex? Okay, to have children, but also that we might know how much we can know God. 
I mean, this is what he's saying. This is the knowledge of God is to know him so intimately that, that he is in you. Where do you think these terms come from? We've done such a... I didn't plan to do this, and I better not go any further. I'm going to keep... We're going to drive forward. I'm going to get in real trouble um, if I keep going. But, but hear me. Hear me, hear me. Um, it's intimate, intimate, intimate language. And friends, God is the end. It's not ministry. It's not the effects you can have in the kingdom. God is the end. Do you hear me? God is the end. It's not to make your marriage better. It's not so that you'll stand out and somebody will find you and you'll get married. It's not so that you can do better in your job. The end is God. God is the prize. God is it. He's the end zone. It's, he's the end. And therefore, solitude and quietness before God. It's the only way to get it. The only way. It's Sabbath rest. It's taking a day to shut up and be quiet and listen to God. These are, this is a, a huge warning sign. I mean, you don't even have to do a CAT scan on the church. We don't even know how to do Sabbath anymore. Therefore, we don't know God. There, uh, there's no shortcut. Oh, but look at all of our ministries, all these, all these you know, things you can achieve. and Garbage. Shut up. Get on your knees. Cry out to God over and over and over and over until you get to glory. And ser- get up to go serving. <laughs> Paul is in prison not ceasing to pray, because that's where he spends his time. Comes from God. Downtown church comes from God. Secondly, gospel prosperity must be the center of our praying. Let me say that slowly. I read it too fast. I'm the one that wrote it, so it's real common to me. But I really want you to hear this. Gospel prosperity must be the center of our praying. All right, is there, I, and I, I'm doing a lot of polling this morning. Sorry about that, but not really. Uh, I'm just curious. Are there people in here that have never heard the name Benny Hinn? Raise your hand if you've never heard the name Benny Hinn. A couple people. Now, that really is encouraging. Uh, much more encouraging than not knowing uh, Chris Davis. But, okay, so I, I just really needed to see if that was just kind of my generation or what even though he's a modern-day preacher. Benny Hinn is a modern-day preacher. He's been preaching for years. He's in his mid-50s, so he's my age. I think mid-50s, maybe, maybe older. But he is really the guy that's credited for the, the prosperity gospel. If you've ever heard that, um, you know, the prosperity gospel. Basically, give God a thousand, he'll give you a hundredfold, you know. Give your money, you know, he had a, maybe still does, private jet, great wealth. Why? Because you know, he was faithful and gave his money and God's blessing, and we can follow suit. Well, he's recanted that, um, came out and recanted it. I didn't believe it, and so I was skeptical. That's my nature, um, and so I listened to a podcast this week. Listen to the, folks, I think it's real. I really do. Let, let me listen to the, I mean, I'm hearing knowledge of God kind of stuff here, but anyway, listen. 
in response, and I'm just going to read some quotes that I pulled out of the podcast. So I, I think this will make sense. Um, let me just go, just go with it with me. All right. He says, in refer- reference to the prosperity gospel, where is Jesus in that message? He had me at Jesus. All right. Most were not focusing on the gospel and loving the Lord Jesus. He said, I became distracted from preaching Jesus. I'm thinking about now, though, how am I going to finish? I want to be remembered as one who preached the cross of Jesus, salvation, not prosperity. That is not my call. My heart is changing, not just my message. I'm not changing because of my critics. It's my relationship with the Lord. It's about the Lord. We must bring the message back. It's manipulation to tell people if you give a thousand, you'll get a hundredfold. Most don't get a hundredfold. And what happens to their faith, their walk with the Lord and their faith when they don't? Hallelujah. His eyes have been opened. But then he says this, I believe the Bible. Therefore, I believe God wants to bless his people. But the focus must be him, the gospel. Not our greed. Not what we want back. We need to go back to giving because we love the Lord and we want to see other lives transformed. That's Benny Hinn, folks. Are you kidding me? There is a God who sits on the throne. And he said this, I don't want the next generation to believe what I no longer believe. Had to hear it with my own ears. I want you to hear something this morning. God is not calling us to long for Him for physical wealth and earthly prosperity. But there is a full gospel prosperity that Paul is pushing. This is full gospel prosperity that Paul is praying would be present in the lives of the Colossians, and he is calling us, I believe, through his example to pray likewise. Note again, Paul is in prison, and he is not praying that he will get out. Think about that. If I, if someone rushes in here in the next few minutes and takes me to prison, y'all better be praying first and foremost that I get out of prison. I'm kind of joking. There's no mention of, hey guys, hey, y'all kind of pray for me. I'm, you know, kind of miserable over here in prison. He is praying for the church in Colossae And so from the very day we heard, we've not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. Look at the prosperity. Did you hear it? Let's slow down here. And so from the day we heard, we've not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will, get it, in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Slow that down. 
I looked it up in Greek. All means all. Seriously. I, I, I did word studies throughout this. I'm like, what that means, okay, we, we say words. We don't value words today. All means the totality of something. This is prosperity off the chain. This isn't, okay, give me a seminary degree. Help me to remember an outline of one of the books of the Bible. This is, I am praying that the church, every member from the youngest to the oldest, would have such knowledge of God that they would possess all spiritual wisdom and understanding. That the world could come in and sit at anybody's feet and get wisdom and understanding. All wisdom and understanding. And, and how does that produce, what does that effect have on your life? So to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him. Oh God, you know, just give me, just work out this little portion of my life. Don't mess with any of that. Don't deal with my idols. No, fully pleasing. God, come in and obliterate the idols. Bring your hammer and just start wrecking my heart. So that my life, when I wake up in the morning, can be, God, I want to be fully pleasing to you. Now, where does righteousness come from? He's praying for this in the midst of talking about and preaching uh, this king who sits on a, uh, um, a throne who has brought redemption, the very forgiveness of sins. How do we become righteous before God? Through the finished work of Jesus. It is through, uh, by grace, through faith alone in Christ alone. That's how we stand justified before God. And yet... Out of that justification, out of that righteousness, we should be singing every morning what we sang this morning. Righteousness, righteousness is what I long for. Righteousness, it's what I need. Holiness, holiness. I mean, this is it. This is not, oh yeah, are you going to break it by three minutes after? Yes, but what's your goal? He's saying, aim high. If you aim low, you're going to hit it every time. Oh, that's so passe. But it's so true. It's what he's saying. Are you praying like this? Unbelievable what he's saying. Full gospel with all spiritual. So as to walk in a man uh, worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in. Oh, help me, you know, produce a good work. I've got this person at work and I just want to look. Every good work. Do you see the goal? Do you see how our prayer lives need to change? Every good work increasing in the knowledge of God. May you be strengthened with a drop of power. No. May you be strengthened with all power. According to Richard's might, let Richard be as strong as Richard can be. According to his glorious might. Oh my. Oh my. You're telling me that God wants me to pray that he will give me his own power? What Paul is praying for. And not just, okay, um, for all endurance and patience with joy. I love that he brings in joy and then he says giving thanks to the Father because you know that you just possess knowledge about God and not the knowledge of God when your knowledge is leading you to self-righteousness and a critical spirit and gossip and slander and feeling better and superior to everybody around you. That's when you just have the knowledge about God. When you have the knowledge of God, oh, you can't even think about your neighbor and how 
much higher you are than they. Friends, what would happen? I, I, I changed my prayer life this week because of this sermon, because of this passage, not my sermon, this passage. I started praying, and I want to challenge you to pray today. Take this and start praying this for your own heart. When I first started, oh God, okay, give me all, you know, give me the knowledge of your will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And I was walking this morning with a sermon and it's hit me. No, no, no. He wants me to shout, give me all of it, God. Fill me fully. Let me please you today. Let the world know that Jesus lives. Because if I don't, then I reflect Jesus and Jesus is not a king on his throne coming back one day uh, to usher in a new heaven and a new earth that I should be working for now out of his spirit, out of his present power, out of the hope that I have. I mean, if I'm not being filled up, if I just have a little drop of Jesus, but I'm really just, okay, give me a drop so I can feel good about myself. And that's really my barometer, how I feel about me. The world isn't going to know Jesus. The world's going to say it's by humbug, it's a bunch of junk. And that's what they're doing. Why? Because we don't believe it. When we start believing this, folks, not just one or two, our personal revival is when one or two or three people get a hold of this. Corporate revival is when we all get a hold of this. It's when the Spirit blows in and we all desire more than anything knowledge of God with all spiritual wisdom and understanding, bearing fruit in every good work, walking in a manner worthy of Him, fully pleasing to Him. Friends, that's what we must be as the church. And in order for that to happen, thirdly, a hunger for gospel prosperity must be empowered by hope. There's so much I can say about this. Um, the, the apostles, after the resurrection, the apostles preached the resurrected king more than anything. I mean, that was their gospel. King Jesus lives. He was in the ground. He rose up. He lives. That was the gospel. It wasn't repent of your sins, feel bad about yourself, understand. And it was, you've got a king that's worth serving. And oh yeah, you've got to repent of your sins and turn to him and he'll give you new life. That was the order, okay? And, and yet... We see that in 1 Corinthians 15. That's, that's the longest dialogue, the longest um, teaching on the resurrection in the New Testament. And, and I love, and I've been pondering this for a couple of years now. 1 Corinthians 15, 32. This question, or this statement. Paul said, if the dead are not raised, the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink for tomorrow we die. What he's not saying is really what he's saying. But if the dead are raised, oh, brother, you can eat and drink. <laughs> you can work. You can get married. You can take risks. You can step out in faith. 
You can, you can stand before a world that hates Jesus and you can proclaim His love. You can go to work when you have a horrendous boss. You can, you can go and, and you, you can be living in poverty, but you can live way above that poverty because of the delight and the hope that you have in Jesus and the hope that you have in the coming kingdom where you will know wealth like no one has ever known. You can live according to the means of the God who reigns on the throne in heaven. Now do it! You see, we can let go of the now. We can let go of this political season. We can let go of of the hopelessness of whatever our context is when we are rooted in the then. We can let go of the now when we're rooted in the then. And God has given us a certain then, and His name is Jesus. And He is on His throne, and nothing is going to move Him from His throne. Do you know King Jesus this morning? Is that the Savior you walked in here believing? Did you come in here worshiping? Was that the Jesus you were singing to this morning? Was He that high? Was He that glorious? Was He so high and glorious and all-powerful that you could surrender your life to Him and say, your will be done, not mine, but yours? Even if you bring disaster, even if you bring trials, even if you bring suffering, I'm in it because you're my end, because I see now something's different about Jesus now because of this passage, and I want to give my life to you. I want to live differently. I want to work for justice differently. That is a value of of millennials and Gen Zers. It's my value too, but it's because of the gospel. Because there is a just kingdom coming. Because He is a God of justice. Because He sees you in your suffering. He sees you in your marginalization. He sees you on death row and not being uh, uh, properly defended. But oh, you have a defense attorney. Do you see it? That's different than just working for justice. That's working for justice out of the reality of King Jesus. One grows you in your self-righteousness and critical nature about everybody around you who just doesn't get it like you, and one ushers you into a God that you can trust and know that whatever you sacrifice in this life, you're going to get it in the next. Whatever you give up to fight for whatever that agenda is, you're going to get it in the next. You single, you in a marriage and wish you weren't, you're going to get what you need in the coming kingdom. And it's coming and it's real because there's a king on his throne that is unlike any president, unlike any ruler. Do you see how hope fuels current faithfulness? I'm hearing way too much. Y'all, i got to just do me i got to do what's best for me. Well, here's what's best for you. Bend your knee to King Jesus. Bend your knee to King Jesus and say, send me where you will send me. Give me the life that you will give me, but be my greatest treasure in love so that in the midst of all the garbage of life, all that I'm going to have to put up with, I can have joy and thanksgiving. And I can love my neighbor. I don't have to judge him. Glorious King, would you rain down your spirit that we might not just be one or two or three or four or five or six or seven. May we be a room of men, women, boys and girls that believe this. 
oh God, you can do it. And you've told us to pray for that. That we would be filled with the knowledge of God in all wisdom, all spiritual wisdom and understanding that we might walk in a manner fully worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to you, bearing fruit in every good work, having the kind of perseverance that goes on and on, but not just a perseverance that survives, but a perseverance that thrives with joy. Oh God, I pray for it right now. I pray that you would send it in my heart, oh God. Forgive me for my unbelief. Forgive me for my complacency. And God, fill me with the power to believe that you're a God that is this big. Your heart and your desire. You want to give me more than I'm even praying for right now. You want to bless this body more than what I'm even praying for right now. So do it by your spirit. Do it through your word. Oh God, may Jesus be exalted in our hearts and may we leave this place wanting to serve Him. God, make it so. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.